Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this month's podcast. Uh, we here at RSI are really grateful that we have the opportunity to sit around and come up with these topics that we hope that you'll find informative. Um, for this month's podcast, I am really excited uh, to have our RSI training team with us. And uh, in the room, we've got Mark, Michelle, Brian, James, and Dave, and uh, Catherine. And on the phone here, we've got Sydney as well. And uh, this month, we were sitting around and we were looking up topics, and we were throwing about uh, around a bunch of ideas. And we decided that with year-end coming up, we were going to focus on the things that you need to be doing successfully to set yourself and your business up for a prosperous new year. Um, this month, our list is going to be made up of some of the best operational and financial practices that are made up from what we see our I'd say arguably our best clients doing day in, day out. This list is also comprised from what our friends at the state and federal revenue agencies say that we need to be doing so not to find ourselves on the, uh, the rear end of an audit. Um, since this is the festive time of the year, um, I thought that uh, we'd bring the, uh, like I said, we'd bring the RSI training team uh, in with us to uh, do this podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Right on, right on. All right, so let's get let's be, get beginning here, and uh, let's start with our operational to-dos that will make next year one where we can find ourselves in control of our businesses versus being controlled by them. We always talk about being proactive versus being reactive, and I think that you know these operational to-dos fall in line with with that strategy. Um, these are the operational best practices that are utilized by our clients who day in, day out, demonstrate a superior ability to take care of their guests, their teams, and slam money to the bottom line. Would we all agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. Right on. So when we go around the room, and I think arguably um, what we tell our clients on a regular basis is that budgets, right? You, you hear it all year long from us, right? We've done, I think, uh, eight, nine podcasts this year, and budgets usually find their way into just about every podcast. So there's really no surprise that this is number one on our list, right? There's no better tool for setting the course for your business than having an accurate budget in place, right? So, Mark, let me ask you, how can the use of a budget increase our ability to take care of our guests? How do okay. you use it? How, how do I use it? I mean, looking at, that, looking at your budget, what we want to do is, you know, we've got to think about the things that, you know, not in the day-to-day -day operation of the business, but things that may happen down the road that, we need to be prepared for, so, such as you have a pipe that breaks, you know, shuts down the dishwasher, we can't wash the dishes, you know, what are we going to do? Do we have the funds at that time to pay that plumber to fly out on the weekend or whatever to get that taken care of? So we need to budget for those things like that. Other things that we may want to look at budgeting for is um, staff member training and, and bonuses for the staff member. You know, we want to have happy employees to have happy guests. You know, if you have disgruntled employees, typically... You have disgruntled guests, and it's you know bad for business. You know, you you raise a great point about the uh, the plumber. I mean, there's how many of you when you were running restaurants walked in in the morning only to find out that the uh, the plumbing burst or something was there, and the restaurant had to be shut down because nobody notified the plumber from the night before. Absolutely, mm -hmm. right? Then, Tons of that. You know, there's nothing more frustrating than you know you're getting set up for a busy a busy day, and and by the way, it never breaks on a Monday. It always breaks on a Friday mm -hmm. or Saturday. Water heaters always went out on Saturday. It always Saturday did. Lunch. It, yep. You know, and it was always the week where you were rolling on a really good week. You were like. 11% up in sales, and then suddenly there went your week because <laughs> right. it was out. You're handing out movie cards for all your disgruntled guests, right? Or the, maybe that was just me. Um, so there we go. So, Dave, let me ask you a question. How does the budget 
uh, enable us to better take care of our team members? It's a good question. In, in most states, you know, uh, at the beginning of the year, minimum wage increases will happen. If you're working on trying to run some employee incentives, just being able to be planned ahead and be prepared for those types of things to really reward your team for the hard work that they give you. Um, uh, budgeting in some, some uh, wage increases for that may not be state mandated to be able to take care of some of those, some of those key employees and, and being able to make sure that you have that uh, planned for it ahead of time. You know, I think you raise a good point. I mean, most people don't draw the connection between taking care of the team and what we call cost of acquisition. Right, cost of acquisition of new team members. We've heard a lot. Or let me ask you guys a question: Have you guys heard from your clients um, about how hard it's been to hire, especially back of the house team members? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Members, yeah. yeah. You know, it's slim pickings right now. It is. So I think that you know, you know, putting a good plan in place, you know, to increase the, the monetary value of individuals for proper performance costs way less than trying to acquire a new team member who you don't know if can use both sides of their, you know, both their hands for flipping a pan on saute. Right. Right. (laughs) So, Michelle, let me ask you a question. Um, Are there any other ways that, in your experience, that you've taken care of your team that you feel that you needed to budget for or that you did budget for? Yeah. um, Actually, kind of to tie along with what both of these guys were saying, Mark and Dave, the other part that gets neglected is atmosphere for your team. So when you look at things like how well supplied are they to do their jobs? I think everybody, you know, at least in this room from running restaurants, has that experience of the server who's mad they can't find forks or that they have to work in a cold back office, your management team, because you have neglected some basic repair and maintenance or supply costs that could be addressed by properly budgeting to spend the money you need to. I want to interject on the cold bat manager's office. Um, that wasn't done by mistake. I used to turn off the heat there because if they were in the manager's <laughs> office, then they weren't on the floor. So I want to counteract that one. My no? office is pretty chilly, too, now that you mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, got to go. <laughs> so, no, there we go. Uh, Sydney Lynn, how does, how does having a budget allow us to increase our ability to manage our cash flow? Well, it's important to have that budget in place so you understand what your potential profit could be. Profit doesn't always necessarily transfer to cash flow, so understanding exactly what your profit is going to be and seeing how that relates to your debt service or other things that might be coming up will help you understand, do you have enough profit to be able to handle the cash that's going out? That's perfect, Sydney. I I really like the way that you put in debt service because I think a lot of people get confused um, with regards to what is servicing of debt, you know, and our, your budget allows you to service your operational debt, you know, but it also helps you tee up one half of the equation when you're looking at a cash flow statement. Not to digress, but we all know that we need our operational budget as well as our balance sheet to, to clearly get a picture of, of debt servicing. Um, I think we did, a, uh, we did a podcast a couple months ago on uh, cash flow and debt servicing, so if you have any more questions, feel free to check that out um, on the Resource Center of the website. So let me ask you a question, James. If you could only use one report and report card to assist you in managing your budget, which one would you choose? Once I have that budget in place and I'm managing it throughout the year, I'd be using the weekly slaw report. I would be taking a look at that on a daily basis for the current week in which I was in and taking a look at you know, not only what I'm currently doing, but what am I doing up against that forecast? What am I doing up against that plan that I have when it comes to sales and my labor? Um, and being able to take a look at where I'm winning and where I have areas of opportunity throughout the week to make adjustments. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, let me ask all of you, how, how many of you 
teach your clients about the uh, the SLAW report, the sales labor analysis oh, report. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have to agree. It's a nice it's a it's a nice way to look at your comparison against your history, against your week. It's got your your mm -hmm. costs and your and some of your uh, your key metrics in there as well. So I would agree that if you only had one report to live on, the SLAW would be it. So. All right. I think we've pretty much hammered home uh, the fact that we love budgets here at RSI. <laughs> um, let's move on. And I, uh, prime cost control strategies. So number two, uh, when we were putting this list together, was prime cost control strategies. Whether you're planning on increasing your menu prices or reworking the recipes of your existing menu items, you've got to take a look at your menus as if it were a stock portfolio. You do you keep the item? Do you get rid of it? Do you find a way to sell more of it? Or you just simply change the price? Now is a really good time of the year to go back through your menu engineering report and identify your top sellers and their ability to contribute margin dollars to your business. So Dave, let me ask you, how does tracking your guest counts assist you in identifying whether or not you've gone too far with a menu price increase? Uh, the direct correlation between the two, if you, if you realize, if you can find by tracking those guest counts over a period of time, whether you're uh, missing bodies in the restaurant or if you, uh, if you are able to get that foot traffic that you need, uh, you may be able to kind of tinker with those menu prices. And yeah, you'll be able to see that relationship on the per guest count, uh, your guest check average, how that ties in, and be able to reduce uh, some of those menu prices if that strategy allows you to still meet your profit margins. Uh, if you're still be able, over, able to, um, uh, to to meet your overall food cost objectives or poor cost objectives. You know, I think simply put, Brian, let me ask you a question. If, if you and I are working together and we were staring at a report and we saw that our guest check average went up by two bucks and we were looking at our guest counts and our guest counts were trending down by, let's say, 6% or, you know, 30 guests a day, what, what would be some of the ideas that would run through your head about our menu price increases? Yeah, that would be a red flag to maybe you went a little too, too far with the menu price increase. I think, I think that's exactly what you would want to look at to, to gauge whether or not that menu price increase was, was a good choice or not. No, I, I agree with you. So, so Michelle, let me ask you a question. When, when you have a menu item and you can raise the price and you don't lose guest counts, what, what is it about that menu item? that uh, they say that it has price what? Elasticity. Oh, good. I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that... Uh, that I that steal your word every day. There you go. That, <laughs> I'm just making sure that I still have a franchise or right on that, on that word. So, no. So, I think, you know, for all of us listening, I think that we get so wrapped up about menu price increases, how much, what to do, what are the qualifications, how do we take, you know, how do we know whether it worked? I want to take a step back and just remind everybody that... If your guest feels like they're not getting value for a dollar for that plate, they're going to let you know by not ordering it. And they're really going to let you know over time by not coming back. So a lot of times, while I agree with what Dave said, that sometimes you back into a food cost, I think don't forget it's about the guest perception of an item. Mark, in your, in, in your former life, you were dealing with a lot of products, especially custom meat products and, and you know putting together a rattlesnake on plates and stuff like that. How do you find that you were evaluating whether or not you had gone too far with a menu price increase with you know and I'm trying to relate this to farm to table restaurants sure today. sure oh no, definitely I mean first of all I mean there's there's a market value of the product I mean I kind of knew um, you know being in the specialty food industry selling those high-end items um, that are one of the kind you kind of had your own market but you also had to be able to to look at those items and say you know at the end of the day when I'm putting it on the plate is it really worth it you know yeah I'd want to make 
let's say a 30% food cost on this item, but do I have to? You know, we also go to look at dollars in the bank, not necessarily the percentage on the plate. So if I put more dollars in the bank on a $25 item than I would on a, you know, an item I priced at, you know, $30 just because of the cost value, you know, it's just things I looked at. And for all of you playing the home game, that was your soundbite for this podcast. All That's right. for sure. Nice <laughs> job. So, James, how can we make the best use of our vendors in the battle against rising costs? Uh, you know, before you sit down with those key vendors, you know, you want to jump into RSI, into the menu, menu engineering component, and run your 4R report. You know, take a look at and review uh, the recipes of the top menu items in each group. And, you know, reviewing those recipes enables you to identify the key product ingredients. Totally agree. And then after we review those pre, uh, those key product ingredients, Dave, what do you think about the invoice analysis query and how does that tie in? Yeah, I just coached somebody on this today and kind of a year in review that we did their budget with them last uh, last January. Uh, just understanding what they've spent their money on and, and how much uh, they spend over a period of time. I love that report for one GL over, a por- over the course of a year to really be able to dissect and understand how many pounds of ground beef they ordered last year, that they invoiced last year, so they know, hey, vendor, this quarter I'm willing to purchase this much because I know how much I spent last year. Um, just being able to be knowledgeable about exactly what their purchases are is the key part of that report. I totally agree. And then this way, would you know, I think we all agree that it's very important that you that you engage your vendor partners in to a monthly meeting where you can sit down and speak intelligently with them about the various strategies for your players, including you know the the menu items that you can't live without. You know, we call those the franchise players. It's the possibility of product substitutions, recipe enhancements, um, anything that we can do, including raising the menu price. You know, the different strategies. It doesn't always. It isn't cookie cutter, right? Co-branding was something that came up today too. With the, a lot of the farm to table concepts that we're seeing, is put the farm's name on there and see if they won't work with you on the price too. That was just another another thing that came up today. You know, that's a great idea, and you see that. I think we all see that when we go out. You know, when they put the Neiman Ranch logo on there, or when they put the Kraft logo for macaroni. It's the best, right? You mean farm to tables, not macaroni and cheese? I've been lied to. (laughs) All right. I think we've nailed the operational to-dos. I think let's go ahead and let's look at at our financial to-dos. These are not always a fun topic for the operator. However, I think we'll all agree that they're very critical nonetheless. Financial accuracy is what makes our best clients successful. Right. Here's a fun fact for you. Right. Every year, we experience watching roughly 15% of our existing clients open brand new restaurants. That's roughly 150 restaurants. So what we do here is we obsess on why are they doing it? How are they able to do that? And when we review the operational and financial health of these clients, we always find that they have got budgets in place. They've got quarterly goals. They run weekly manager meetings. They've got employee handbooks. And then they also have less than 10 bank rec questions per period, right? They perform operational reviews with their RSI training team, and they also have below average workman comp claims. We don't find that the best clients are only the best in one stat category. We find that they are consistently the best in all categories. So that's something to strive for for everybody who's listening today, right? So once again, largely due to the fact, right, that they have typically associated dates with their financial tasks, all right? So in the spirit of checking things off our list, let's take a look at some of the financial to-dos. So 
Michelle, why don't you tackle a balance sheet review for us? Okay. Well, when the first couple things that we would look at in a balance sheet review, especially at the end of the year, are balances that got out of whack or can't be explained. Uh, usually, from, from the training perspective, we're always helping our clients figure out what went on with their house bank. So that 1030 is a big one, uh, as well as that credit card liabilities. Credit cards are should be treated the same way that the bank reconciliation reconciles everything that happens in your bank account, all of the activity. So for those throughout the year who were just reporting charges when it was handy for them in bulk, going back and figuring out how to match up the liability on the balance sheet to what's actually on their credit card statement can be a challenge. That's a good one. That's a good one. So let me ask you a question, Mark. What do you think some of the best practices are for keeping the house bank in check? Well, number one thing for me is, you know, I hear so many uh, clients, you know, they go and they go do some paid outs or whatever, and they just kind of throw it in the safe. And then one day they decide to uh, reconcile the safe and, you know, they're short money or whatever, or they can't find half the paid outs or whatever. Do it daily or do it weekly. I mean, get in that practice of recording your expenses when they happen. It's the same thing with anything else that you purchase, you know, that cash transaction. Other things, you know, we were talking about is possibly doing tips on checks instead of paying the... You know, the servers every night and having to have a million bank transactions going down and getting some cash, just put tips on checks and deposit 100% of your cash for the day. Just make things a little bit easier. And then lastly, make sure you look at the balance sheet and the balance. So reconcile that balance with your safe on a weekly basis. A good surefire way to know that your house bank's out of whack is what? Who wants to take the Pepsi challenge? Dave? <laughs> if there's any sort of decimal point with change in the amount <laughs> of your balance sheet, it's wrong. <laughs> exactly. All right. Very rare. Very rare. Yep, yep. Nobody levels their house bank to $832.73. <laughs> right? So, Brian, let me ask you a question. We talk about prepaids and accruals, and when we always talk about them in here, we always frown. Right? So... I know when we're doing balance sheet reviews, clients that are using prepaids and accruals typically have problems. So number one, why do we discourage the, the use of prepaids and accruals? And what's a better way, number two, for them to get those estimates that they're looking for? Yeah, I think we discourage the use of prepaids and accruals because that's what happens during the balance sheet review. That's what we see get the most out of whack. It ends up creating more work for you. It gives you a poor... Uh, a poor view on, on where you're at in a cash flow perspective. Um, I, I think to the second part of your question, really the, 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 what we recommend is a budget. I think a budget's a much better way to kind of keep tabs on, on where you're at and, and go forward and, expend, and anticipate those expenses that are coming up. You got it. You guys, I just wanted another way to weave budget into this, in, into this yeah, conversation. Yeah, I, I, I had a feeling, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, prepaids and accruals, once again, we've, uh, we've done a podcast on, uh, on prepaids, and we've addressed them there, so I don't want to go back into it. But the, the major focus, prepaids and accruals, get out of whack as often as anything, and if you really want to estimate your expenses, the best way to do that is to do it on a budget. Right. So there's another little trick and, you know, and Michelle was talking earlier about credit cards and credit card reconciliation. Right. I'm a huge fan of daily discount. Right. Once again, credit card expenses and credit card fees are some of the, the largest that most of our clients see. So when you're doing a balance sheet review. Right. And we're looking at at at, uh, at credit card fees. I like da doing daily discount. Right. Does anybody want to take the challenge of what daily discount is? You guys feel comfortable or you want me to, to lean right into it? So, I got it. You got it, Sid? Knock it out. 
So basically, merchant processors handle credit card fees two ways. They're either deducting the fees out on a daily basis from each day's deposit, or they're doing one lump sum at the beginning of the month. How you can manage this with your cash flow is instead of having, you know, four, five, six thousand dollars hit at the beginning of the month, you're taking that small little hit every single day out of each day's deposit. So you already have the cash leaving your bank, you've already spent it. And you don't have to worry about a lump sum at the beginning of the month. So it makes sense to have it come out on a week, you know, daily basis instead of having that big lump sum at the beginning of the month. It's you couldn't have said it any better, Sydney. I really appreciate it. Nice, nice job. So now can you do me a favor? Can you get the clients that don't want to do that? Can I put you give you a list and you can talk them into it? <laughs> it also relates back to cash flow. It just it's a better way to net down your your, your P and L on a uh, on a daily and weekly basis. All right. So number one, financial checklist. We got that off the list. It's balance sheet review. Number two, W-2 readiness. We are at that time of year where everybody who works for you for a half a day to two weeks, now you've got to get them a W-2, right? All the no-call, no-shows, and you don't have any of the information for them. So, all right, this does not have to be the mind-numbing process that it seems to be for many of the unprepared clients. So let's go down some of the simple things to, to knock out. Um, Dave, what do you got for the first one up on the, on the list? First thing, do just double-check and make sure to the best of your ability, and I know some people move and don't tell you, email addresses are updated, employee addresses are up to date, uh, as, as much as you can possibly get done, um, and, and start to review those uh, employee profiles in RSI. Absolutely, Sydney. What do you got for uh, what do you got for other ideas as far as uh, you know how to be prepared ongoing throughout the year to be ready for W twos? Is there anything any strategies you are telling your clients? Well, I think the main key is just getting your employees comfortable logging into shifts. Like, do they even know what shifts is? Are they logging in? Do they know how to update their notifications and verify that they have a, a correct email address and the information in there is accurate? So first and foremost, making sure your employees know how to log into shifts, know how to access their pay stubs. What's an employee ID number? I don't know. Take a look at my pay stubs. So it's making sure that you're training your employees and making sure they have the knowledge to be able to, you know, understand and access that information. And quite honestly, what I would do at the end of the year, probably come December 1st, we have a really great document in Shift Solutions that's an employee information sheet. Go around and pass it around to every single one of your employees and have them fill it out again and see if you've got all of the accurate information living in the profile. It's a great, it's a great opportunity. W-2s are a wonderful opportunity to check all your HR files. And just, to, and just to cross off your list. Also, just to let everybody know, each year we put up on the, under the alert section, we put up a great W-2 checklist on the site, right? It's got all the information that you need, both in English and in Spanish, to provide your employees on how to log in, or if you're an administrator, how to download the W-2s and hand them out or send them out to your team. So just as a reminder, um, that list is coming out, or that checklist, rather, is coming out over the course of the next week or two. All right, step first financial one off our list was balance sheet. Second one off our checklist was our W-2 readiness. Let's move on to 1099s, right? Another one here. So, Michelle, why don't you go through some of the, uh, the 1099 stuff as far as what they are and, and how we deal with 1099s. So if you have a vendor who came in and performed some kind of service in your restaurant and that's more than $600 for the year, you may need to provide them with some tax information that RSI can help you do. 
So around December, from the end of November, you're gonna see that pink box alert that's telling you that we would require this information to do so. So make sure you have the social security numbers and all the information from those vendors and let RSI know ahead of the time proactively that you would like us to prepare those forms if you do. You nailed it. So, you know, the 1099s, we can obviously prepare them for you, or you can drive yourself crazy by trying to do them yourself. And your time is should be spent in revenue-producing activities. So, step one, get the Social Security number or the FEI and number for the individuals that you've selected that uh, should receive 1099s. Number two, reach out to RSI and go ahead and have us do them. Um, please note, though, that uh, there is a deadline, and it will be on the alert uh, for when we need the information for the 1099s. If we receive the information after the deadline, there are applicable fees that will apply. So I guess that's why I said applicable. All right. Well, moving forward to uh, one of our big items that is usually the undercurrent to check off your list is bank reconciliation and the 7860 account. Dun, dun, dun. I wish I had the theme for the Darth Vader Star Wars. Right? So bank rec and 7860. Mark, why don't you tackle bank rec and 7860? Um, well, basically, it doesn't exist. We'll just say the 7860 <laughs> account should never be there on the best financial account. Yeah, yeah. That's right. If you happen to see that, then that means you've ignored uh, many attempts by us to get your bank rec questions answered. So best practice is to get those answered in a timely manner. Um, limit the bank rec questions that you would have on a monthly going soon to go to a period basis uh, starting the first of the year. But just going through. I mean, Cross your T's, dot your I's on a weekly basis, and then bank recs are easy. You're not having to figure out what happened a month ago. Um, you know, down the road, you're just looking at last week. Well, you know, and to take a step back on 7860, 7860 is a dumping ground. We, you know, we joke that it's the land of misfit toys. It's it, 7860 is where we put all unreconciled transactions that a client chooses to ignore. Right? It goes into an expense category. And the reason that you never want to see things in there as well is if you have any type of manager bonus program, your manager bonus program should be tied to some form of financial accuracy. So if they are not reconciling expenses and they are not truing up your financial statements at the end of each period and you're paying them a bonus, shame on you. That's, that's it in a nutshell. There really should never be anything in the 7860 account. I've been asked sometimes, what is it that goes in? Like, what are the common things that we see in 7860? James, you want to knock out some of the most common items that we see in 7860? Yeah, absolutely. I would say first and for foremost, the debit card usage. So going out and using those check cards. I'd recommend just if you have check cards, take them out of your wallet and cut them up. Because those aren't getting recorded in the system. Yeah, I, that's a message for all of us personally as well. Um, see, the problem with debit cards is that individuals, for some reason, they, they're, they're, there's the, like this predis, predisposition that debit cards don't have to be recorded through your accounting system. Right. And that, I, and so we see it on a regular basis. So, Brian, what's another one that we see that uh, that shows up on seventy eight sixty? Yeah, quite simply, uh, checks that aren't being put into RSI. Are you are you checking before you submit your accounts payable? and sorting, sorting by check number so that you make sure that everything's in there. Um, there's really no excuse for checks not being, being entered in. You have that, you can see if a check number gets skipped, that should raise a red flag and you should go back and research it. Yeah, and checks that aren't recorded in RSI can also lead to fake vendors that somebody tried to put into RSI that happen to be so-and-so's cousin, right? And, <laughs> sure. and also, when people steal, they almost always steal in whole numbers. 
So when those checks are made out, two hundred and fifty to two hundred to two hundred and fifty dollars, right? That's usually a giveaway. Um, the other thing too that when people steal and they don't get caught, usually within a month or two, they give themselves a raise. So always count on that. Um, Michelle, what do you see as being another item that usually shows up on seventy eight sixty? Uh, I would say discrepancies in deposits mm-hmm. is a big one. Uh, they're a little bit more difficult to research, especially when they come from sales and could be pre- present a challenge for a client to say, ah, I'm not going to answer that on the bank record. It would require me figuring out what happened on what day of sales. But it also opens the door to what we were talking about earlier, and that's fraud. Do we have a cash handling issue in the restaurant if deposits aren't hitting the bank the way that they should have? You know, that's a great point. And I also think when you're trying to tie out any type of deposit shortages, remember, RC is, report card is the source data. So every once in a while, take a look at your transmittal and then go into your report card and make sure the numbers tie out. And if they don't tie out, so for example, your comps are less on one than it was on the other, your sales are less on one than they are on the other, then pick up the phone and call your RSI trainer because all of you guys know how to help somebody go and research these. So lastly, Dave, what do you got? Stale dated checks, whether they're AP or payroll, uh, commonly end up in that 7860 account uh, or just on bank as a as a whole. Uh, stale dates, double checking with your vendors, making sure that if you cut them a check and, and, it's, and you don't have a copy of it, that they are cashing those checks. Same thing with employees. Um, if you can, moving those phone, folks to direct deposit uh, to avoid those stale dated employee checks. Yeah, and I think you know this is a this has been a long-standing issue about stale dated checks and employee checks. You know, in in for for you folks listening, in especially in tip credit states where the checks are usually so small, individuals just will they'll, they'll pile up their checks and they won't cash them. Well, after six months, these checks go stale dated. So, you know, Dave touched upon a point that I think that we've all been saying for a while, you know, is, is, is you either put the charge tips on the checks or B, start doing direct deposit and remove the non-revenue producing activity of managing stale dated checks. So great job, you guys. So let's take a quick step back. On our financial to-dos, we've got our balance sheet, we've got our W-2 readiness, we've got our 1099s, knocking those out, and we've got getting everything out of 7860, but Mark also pointed out that you should never have anything in 7860 <laughs> to begin with. So I totally agree. Um, well, folks, is there anything else that anybody has that you want to roundtable before we, uh, we we wrap this up? I think we did. You guys did awesome. Everything. I think we did. Yeah. Well, there you have it. You know, from our mouths to your ears, our year-end operational financial tools that will assist you in having the best shot at achieving your goals for the upcoming year. I'd like to really thank the RSI training team for joining me this afternoon. And from all of us at RSI, we'd like to wish you a very happy holiday season. Thank you for your continued trust in us. And please remember, if you ever have any questions or comments regarding this or any of our other podcasts, blogs, webcasts, anything, please don't hesitate to reach out to your RSI operational trainer, accountant, bank reconciliation, or tax team member. Please take care and have a wonderful holiday season, and we'll see you next year.